Thank you. Thank you, musicians. Thank you. Such a great time of praise and worship. Hallelujah. I would say how many of you are glad you're in the house of the Lord today, but not many here. Okay, but the ones that are here, waving their hands. If you're glad to be able to hear the Word of God today out there, you can raise your hands and praise the Lord, okay? It's good to be with you tonight. I thank Pastor Goodluck. Last week, uh, if you listened to the message last week, um, at the end of the message I told you it was a lot more than I could preach in one week, and I had just covered one of the main points, and I said that at some time in the future, maybe the next time that I ministered on Wednesday night, I would finish up the um, message and uh, when I got home I got a call back from Pastor Goodluck the next day and he said listen I'm going to try to work it out to where you can do it next Wednesday night so you can finish this thing up so I want to thank all of the other teachers uh, pastors here in the church that have pushed their schedules out to be able to allow me to slip in here and be able to finish uh, this message tonight with God's help I'm going to get it finished and we're going to get it finished one way or the other even if it takes us an extra minute okay but we want to welcome everybody out there. doesn't matter where you are. I welcome all our friends and uh, people in, uh, all over the country that are watching us via Facebook. And also over in Africa, we know that there are many over there watching. And I say welcome to you pastors and leaders that are listening to us from afar. And uh, before we get started, we want to make our confession, our declaration that we have before the Word of God because we want the Lord to open our ears that we might hear what He has for us today. It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. And I pray tonight, my prayer is that you will have the ear of the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the message is the second part, part two. Uh, the misunderstanding of grace or misunderstanding grace, whichever way you want to look at it. But last week I um, discussed um, how that the, I want to talk about, the, I, I like to call it the new hyper-grace movement because uh, it takes grace, and some people talk about grace, but I used to say it was like they try to teach a grace on steroids more than it actually is. Uh, I call it distorted and um, uh, it's moving quite quickly. It's not just here, but because it's being taught by many uh, of the uh, uh, teachers and so forth that have t uh, TV broadcasts, it's being broadcast all over the world. I've run into this situation and has been asked questions about grace even when I do ministry in, uh, in Africa. So uh, the first thing that I talked about last week, I want you to know, I can't go back and do all of that or I would never get finished with what I have tonight. So if you haven't heard it, I ask you to go to uh, either our web, uh, either go to the Art Fellowships uh, um, uh, page that you're probably on right now, or you can also it's been posted on the uh, uh, Art Fellowship uh, YouTube. Uh, so you can go there, and if you can't find the YouTube, just type in misunder the misunderstanding of grace, then put my name Larry Graham behind that. Hit start on Google, and it will take you to it. Okay. The only reason I know that is I tried it just to see if it would work before I came here tonight. But what we discussed last week very briefly was the fact that the statement that believes in this misunderstanding of grace, that it believes that when, Jesus, when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that your sins are forgiven past, present, and future sins. But not just we know that all sins were forgiven, but we're talking about the fact that you didn't have to worry about sin 
going forward because it wouldn't be held to your account. Well, we discussed that last week, and I don't want to get involved with that part of it again. Uh, but we believe, and I believe, that we have, to be, we have to have forgiveness, yes, and God gives forgiveness, but he also wants us to live a life outside of that. You know, in other words, we have to live a, God, a, a Christian life, not just because of God's grace. Paul taught us not to do that to make sin abound. Last week we talked about that. But I want to, to share with you tonight some other things that, have been, uh, that are, are being taught that has to do with grace because they used to, as a support for this grace teaching or this hyper-grace teaching that they, uh, that they like to get into, they want to talk about um, the, the fact that we are all made holy, we're made righteous, we're justified before God, and there's nothing that we can do that can... If we, couldn't do, we couldn't do anything to get it, so therefore we can't do anything to lose it, okay? Well... I'd like to say that the Bible says that we're supposed to teach in grace. I told you that last week in 1 John chapter 14, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. But the fact is that, yes, grace is there, but it says God gave grace and truth. We can't take one without the other. And God's Word is full of truth. And they try to base a lot of this on just the Old Testament, and, uh, or not using anything within the Old Testament because they said that was legalistic and that was of the old law. And they said that what Jesus taught, he taught during that period of time in between the old law and the new law. So he was teaching under the old law also. So basically what we, what we have in this teaching, when God says to do the truth, what he said was, this much of the Bible doesn't matter. It's only this part that matters. God gave us this, all of it, for us. He gave it to teach us, and he said that all of it was relevant for us today. So we need to be able to understand that it's more than just part of the Bible, but it's the entire Word of God. So many grace teachers today claim that the moment that we're saved, we're made perfectly, totally, and forever holy in God's sight, regardless of what we do or how we live. So we're not only completely justified by faith once and for all, but we are also completely sanctified, sanctified by faith once and for all. Now, I'm not trying to put words in people's mouth, and I choose not to put names on these quotes that I'm fixing to give you simply because I don't want people to, to, to I don't want to attack anybody personally because there are many out there that do it. But just to give you some, I want to read these because I don't want to take them out of context and mess up in what they are. So I want to read you some of the statements of very popular ministers throughout the United States, and now probably into the world, but these are from the United States. And, and so as one popular, popular preacher, and I'm going to quote these, okay? Sanctification isn't a process. We do not become more and more holy. No, we become holy once and for all. We are sanctified once and for all, and the life we live is an overflow of what has happened. That miracle of overflow goes through our mind and through our body. Another very popular TV pastor, I quote, Second Colossians 2 tells us that we are already made perfect in Christ. We don't work toward perfection. Christ has made us perfect from the cross. The minute you believe that you are made perfect in Christ... You work from your perfection, not to it. 
And God has taken us out from the prison called sin and has now transferred into the prison called righteousness. Is there anything you can take, anything that you can do to take yourself from the prison of sin to the prison of called righteousness? If the answer is no, what makes you think that anything that you can now put, anything now can put you back into the prison called sin? More emphatically still, the moment you accept Jesus, God gave you eternal A+. For your right standing with him. And another one. That's two. Another one says we are not climbing in the unseen ladder. We have already arrived. Sorry. They, I'm just reading it, okay? They use poor theology that makes excuses for bad behavior. <laughs> okay? That was the end of the quote, I should say. And now, they use poor theology and make excuses for bad behavior and then claims that we are now perfect and that whenever someone is saved, the battle against sin is decisively over now and forever. I'm going to assume the biggest percentage of you, when I read that, could not believe what I read. But these are not just things that were said. These are things that are published in their books. These quotes came from the books. So this is not something that's just lightly misunderstood or whatever. These are the teachings, the teachings that is out there today. And it's important that we, as Christians... Read and study God's Word so that we can understand the Scriptures and rightfully divide the Word of truth, okay? Because Satan wants to take something small and make it something big. He, at the very beginning in Genesis, he took one small statement. Well, isn't it good for you to eat of every tree in the garden? No, it wasn't. All of them but one, right? But anyway, moving along, I don't want to get tied up on that because that was some of last week. So then, what then do the teachers, these people that teach this, what do they do with the teachings in God's Word where it tells us to pursue holiness or to be holy or to be perfect? They say we're already holiness. Well, how can you pursue something if you already have it? Okay? So, and the thing about it is, for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, we have believed that grace, yes, we're saved by grace. But there was an, there was, there was an accountability that we had and things that we had to do because God told us to keep his commandments. But you take writers, uh, we're talking about, tonight I want to talk about this holiness or this sanctification or to sanctify or to be sanctified and this thing being totally and completely taken place. You look at the teachings of Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Bunyan, Charles, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was probably one of the best ever grace teachers himself. These men did not believe that it was done now and forever. They said that, yes, you are sanctified at a point. Yes, there, it, when you get saved, you are sanctified to that point. And even the fact that we're called, we're called saints, right? Paul labeled us and called us saints. But I, <laughs> even though... They may be a little bit different, and I understand that everybody's fallible, and I understand that because we see the fallibility that's going on now, so yeah. But to think that these great men, these great writers, every one of them, 
missed this. Whoa, I can be forgiven for, for you know, that, by, that grace which gets me made perfect and holy and everything else. I don't have to do anything about it. These men missed it. And the modern grace teachers speak about our past sanctification. In other words, we get sanctified, so it's all done in the past, not into the future. There's nothing coming into the future. So, well, either overlooking, they say that, either overlooking or misinterpreting scriptures that had to do with our ongoing and progressive type of sanctification. They believe sin has been totally and completely eradicated from the believer. Sin has been totally and completely eradicated from the believer. In other words, when God saved me, there's no more sin in my body. Never will be. No matter what I do, I'm never going to sin again. That defi- First of all, I know God's not logical, but that just defies logic. Okay? They believe it's totally true. So if it's true that it's all been eradicated then why do we still have evil desires inside of us? If sin has been fully eradicated from the believer, why are we tempted? If sin has no effect, then there would be no temptation to sin. And why would Satan even try to tempt us in sin if he knew that when we accepted Jesus Christ, any sin that we committed in the future was already forgiven? So if it was already forgiven... He's not going to pester you anymore. So it, it would be nice to know that, oh, all of my sins are forgiven past, present, future. I, anything I do and sin down here, you know, any temptation when the devil tempts me to steal or tempts me to do something that I'm not supposed to do, I say, well, first of all, I ask him, why has he tempted me? He knows I'm already saved. He knows I'm going to go to heaven. Why is he wasting his time on me? Why doesn't he go work on somebody else? Okay. I know I haven't shared any scripture. We're getting there, okay? First, we need to understand that, yes, we are called saints. In the New Testament, saints literally means holy ones. And I would rather be called a holy one versus being called a sinner. Now, people like to say, and I please don't take it. My wife tells me this is semantics, okay? But a lot of people talk about saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's what you call working from the negative to the positive. I was a sinner saved by grace. I really prefer to be a saint because of grace. I've been made a saint because of grace. Why? Because that's what God wants to cause. And we are. When we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin at that point in time, we are completely, totally, and completely sanctified. But I also believe, and we're going to discuss here in a few minutes, think about the difference between spiritual spiritual realm and the physical realm because remember these two are there right so first we need to understand that so what is sanctification what is sanctification if you to understand it you have to go and look it up in the greek okay and if you look it up in the greek hagiosmos 
which means, now listen to the meaning because the meaning is important. And you can go look this up yourself. Go to the, go to the Greek, type in the word sanctification, or you can say holiness because they are basically the same thing, the same word. Type that in and ask what the Greek word, what it means in the Greek. And then you can find out for yourself. You don't have to trust me. You can find out for yourself. But this is what it says. Took it right straight out of it. Sanctification or holiness means the process of making or becoming holy. The process of making or becoming holy. Notice that these words mean that sanctification or holiness is a process and not an event. The definition of sanctification or holiness in its definition says it is a process, not an event in time. At the point of salvation, yes, that moment takes place. But it's not, even though we become, we can, as they'll say, become sanctified, we are being sanctified and will will become sanctified. But if we just take a moment and and correct the definition of sanctification, we're looking at the Scriptures, things would look much different. If we just look at it correctly, then things will look a whole lot different from that simple fact. Now, you, can, you can't start a belief based on a misinterpretation of a word. If you start with something false or something in error, you cannot make it something true. It's impossible. If you have a belief based on an error of interpretation, all you have is now an error. Okay? Sanctification is a process. At salvation, we have been sanctified. But we are also being sanctified. And one day when we go to be with the Lord, we will be 100% totally and completely sanctified. But it is a process in which we need to get there. It's a process, not a single event. Now, what I have just told you should be enough to convince anyone from a normal biblical interpretive standpoint that sanctification is a progressive thing and that we is not an event of time. But I haven't shared any scripture with you. I'm only giving you points of what it is and to show you the, to me, Maybe it's spiritual understanding that I have or what, but to me, a logical person getting this should be able to understand it to this point in time. But people are walking in error because they didn't study and get what the meanings of the words are. Let's look at Hebrews 10.10. We looked at this last week, but I want to share another portion of it. By that, we, by that, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The statement that they use, sanctify once and for all, okay? First of all, you have to realize you can't, first of all, you can't take scriptures out of context. That's how false teaching starts, when you start pulling things out of context and not look at them in the context. 
They must be in context. They must be defined as either grammar-wise, they must be correct grammar, the, inter the interpretation of the words must be correct, and they must be historical. In other words, what is he talking about? Who's he talking to? What is the state of what's going on? The book of Hebrews was written for Hebrews. It was to explain Jesus Christ, what he did, and explain to them what they had to give up in the Old Covenant compared to what was coming into the New Covenant. Okay? So it says, we cannot take this verse out of the context, but here the writer in Hebrews is speaking to the church, but also to the Jewish Christians who were trying to hold on to the old law of sacrifices for sin. As we talk about the sin offerings, right? So, but let's read on. Verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. See what he's talking about? In other words, we're talking about these priests going out killing sacrifices. But those will never get us forgiven of sins. They were a covering. Yes, the blood of animals was a covering for sin, but it did not cleanse from sin. It did not cleanse the conscience of man, but it was, a, it was an act of obedience to a law that covered them with sin, but did not cleanse them. It says, And it says, and this sacrifices, if you will say animal sacrifices, which can never take away sin, specifically says right here. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, talking about Jesus, forever sat down on the right hand of the Father. Now, Jesus, when he died, all sin was paid for. All the past sins, all the sins present during his time, and all of the sins going forward, which now includes us. But this is not talking about forgiving sins past, present, and future in our lives. It was past, present, and future going from the cross, looking back, looking at, and looking forward. Okay? For that time waiting till his enemies had made him his footstool. For by one offering, Jesus, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Oh, not a process. I mean, process, but not an event. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds I will write them. We don't live by the law that was given. The law of Moses was given to the Jewish nation. Our laws are the same laws to a certain of, of, of the things that had to do with sin, right? But he gave us, he wrote them in our hearts and in our minds. And then as their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Remember no more lawless deeds, talking about when they accept Jesus Christ, right? Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Take that scripture out of context and say there's narrow, no more offering for sin. You would say, hey, the price has been paid. There's no more offering for sin. But that's not, that's not what it was saying. What it was saying is those offerings for sin in the Old Testament is not the offerings for sin that's in the New Testament. It, that's what they're talking about is the old offerings for sin, not the new. Again, pulling it out of context. 
No longer an offering for sin. You can't take an old law, a sin offering, and it's no longer needed. So if it's no longer needed, then it's no longer a sin offering anymore. Right? Moving along. 10, 19, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter to the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart, true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. You have to realize in the Old Testament, because they were only covered and not forgiven, their conscience was never clear. They only knew by knowledge of the law that their obedience had them covered by the blood of those animals, but their conscience were still not clear because they did, the spirit was, their human spirit was still there. Which it, In Ezekiel, we find out that God put a new spirit inside of us, and that's why we have a different spirit and something that's going differently to us. Okay? So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for who he who promised is faithful. And let us, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and sin. Oh, sorry. Oh, that one says good works. Yes, we are stir up wavering of love and good works. For not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more, yes, for the day is approaching. Now, here in the same context that was we just covered up here of where they're pulling the belief system from, from the sanctification, sins being forgiven, it's all done, everything's done. I got my white clothes on up here tonight, so I'm just, you know, I'm just clean, right? But verse. 26, let's don't pull it out of context. Let's read verse 26. For if, if is a big word. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. I'll read it again. For if if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Note here. By deliberately continuing in sin, not a momentary lapse or an ongoing struggle with the temptation, which we, that's what grace is for as we struggle with our, our Christianity, but our hearts are all made right, right? That struggle that's within us. But rather, a determined and willful turning away from the Lord, we spurn the Son of God. We We profane the blood of the covenant and we outrage the Spirit of grace. Yes, we, the Spirit of grace, can be outraged. We can do it to the Spirit. 27 says, But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which we devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law, 
dies without mercy. And on the testimony of two or three witnesses, of how much more worse punishment do you suppose will be will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. We can insult the Spirit of grace when we make grace more than God intended it to be. For we know him who said, Vigits is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again the Lord will judge his people. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, as you can see from these verses and the context of all that we're given here, this paints a much different picture than the picture that's being painted by the hyper-grace movement that has pulled some of this out of context or misinterpreted the words that are used there and is deceiving those believing in their words. There's a responsibility on ministers and teachers, and that is to teach the Word as truthful as you know the truth to believe. You have to search the Scriptures and know that what you're saying is truth. We must understand that, yes, our, con- our consciences have been clean from guilt, yes, and God has forgiven us and forgotten our sins, the ones that we've asked him to forgive us for, never to remember them again, yes. But he has called us to walk in holiness and to pursue holiness. Then warning us not to belittle or mock a holy God and the holy blood that was shed for us, not to mock it. Hebrews also states clearly, that if we scorn God's grace and turn away from the cross and go back into sin, we forfeit everything that he has done for us. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Why must we pursue peace and pursue holiness if I already have all I need? You have to ask yourself that question because the Word says here, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, or by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently 
with tears. God's Word is filled with warnings about sin and flesh and lust and desires. First Peter 2, starting in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from freshly lusts which war against your soul. Let me just stop to say, when Jesus Christ puts that new spirit inside of us, he also gives us the Holy Spirit. But that new spirit is all of the goodness and all of the good that God has. It's all of the instructions in righteousness. It's all of the good things that God wants us to do. And that's what is, we're supposed to listen to and put on the spirit of the mind, that mind part of the spirit, to be able to live with that. Okay, But there, your soul is sitting there in the middle. The soul is in the balance between heaven and hell. Spirit saying go this way. The mind saying go this way. It's in the balance. It's important for us to realize that there's a war that's going on. Verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your sins, no, excuse me, again, it says good works, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Good works is what God is looking for. Not sin. Yes, people sin. We sin, yes. But God says we have an advocate with the Father, right? All right. Second Peter. I'm giving a lot of scripture, and the reason I'm reading a lot of this is I don't want anything to be misconstrued. I want to use God's word. Second Peter 3, verses 17 to 18. You therefore loved, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Let us grow in grace. How do you grow in grace if Everything is there to start with. To grow means you must put off the world and put on more of God's grace. His grace is that loving kindness that He gives to us. And it's important for us to understand that. Because in Romans six nineteen it says, And I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your faith. For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanliness... And of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so present your members as slaves to righteousness for holiness. We are the righteousness of God. Our spirit being is in the righteousness of God, right? We're there. But it says here that we become slaves to righteousness. Why? 
Because that's what leads us to holiness. The holiness in that time with the God. I want to talk about temptations just a minute. If all sin in the future has been already perfectly and completely and unequivocally eradicated in my life and forgiven, why are we tempted to sin? Why does Satan still tempt us to sin if we are completely secure in Christ? Remember, they say he sees us as sanctified and holy. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Not falls into temptation, but endures temptation, right? James 1, verse 12. Now, he's speaking to the church, to the Christians here. Don't misunderstand what he's talking about. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So if I get a temptation, I'm being tempted by who? Satan, right? I'm being tempted by the evil one. That's where the temptation comes from. Again, if everything's forgiven, no reason to be tempted, right? Then when desire has conceived, a desire that we have. See, everything is conceived in the mind. Because that's where we start everything. That's what makes our whole body function, everything we have. It all starts in the mind. When you conceive in the mind a sin, the Bible says what we're supposed to do with that. Bring that into captivity of God's Word and don't perform it. Right? Don't do what your mind or your desires wants to do. And people say, yeah, but that's not really what the Word of God says. Oh, yeah, it does. It says here that when desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it, is, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadowing or turning. And of his own, he, he has brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, all this is said, so then, by my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce, does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. There is a war between the spirit and the flesh. A lot of times when we talk about being, some of the scriptures talk about being complete in Christ. Okay? The Bible tells us to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, right? All these aspects that we're supposed to love the Lord. 
But people do not realize that the spirit inside of me that God put into me and put into you when you accepted Jesus Christ, that new creature, that's, that new spirit that's been put in you is perfect in every respect. It has no wrong in it. It has no sin in it. That spirit being inside of you is that spirit being in you that's going to go to be with the Lord. And I can understand sometimes how uh, some of these teachers teach because they see all this perfection that's going on and because he, God's talking about that spirit inside of you. It's perfect. It's righteous. You've been made the righteousness of God. You've been justified before God, made as though you've never sinned. All of these things come and flow through the grace of God. Yes, they do, into that spirit man that's on the inside. The problem is we have a tabernacle that we carry the spirit around with that is at constant battle trying to destroy that spirit on the inside, Right? He's trying to destroy that which is on the inside. So we have to understand that there are two spiritual realms out here. There's the spirit of God, the spirit, and then there's the flesh. They're two different places, right? There's two different. There's also the spirit of God. There's a spirit realm that's working, and that's where the battles are fought. And these spiritual realms that are there. That new spirit inside of us is made perfect in every respect. If all my future sins have already been forgiven then why does the Word speak so much about the war between the Spirit and the flesh? Why is Satan trying so hard to defeat us if he, Satan, has no chance of defeating me? Because he does have a chance. This fight is real. And we have to fight the flesh and learn and live and learn to live and walk in the Spirit of God. If there wasn't an opportunity for us to fall, Satan would not be out there trying to make us fall. He's not going to waste his time for all of those things to happen. For all those things to happen. And I want to just look at yourselves. We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to live in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 through 25 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the what? Lust of those flesh. What we have to what? Walk in the Spirit. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. They're opposites. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if. But if. Again, a big word. That means there's a possibility that you won't. If the word if is there, it means there's a, there, there's a chance that you won't. Because God says if. You love me, keep my commandments. He put up a stipulation in there. If you truly love me, you will keep my commandments, right? Okay. But if we are led, but if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, zealous, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, evil, murders, drunkenness, robberies, and the like. Long list. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Period. That's not me saying that. That's not Pastor Goodluck saying it. That's not, <laughs> that's not all Pastor Roy saying it. It's God's Word is saying it. It's saying if you practice the fleshly sins, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The practice, now I understand people struggle in their, in their salvation. I'm not talking about that. God looks at the heart. He knows whether or not you're willfully and wantfully and wanting to do something. 
It doesn't mean that you're never going to sin or you're never going to make a mistake. But God looks at the heart and says, I see the heart of him. He's struggling. He's trying. He's trying to do something. But not give him a license to go sin and willfully commit sins. God didn't say that. He said those type of things will never inherit the kingdom of God. If that be the case, then if I have been forgiven for all these future, how could I be forgiven for all of my future sins if I've never asked God to forgive me for it? Because he said, if I commit those sins, I'm not going to make it to heaven. I want to make it. And I pray to God that you do, all of you that are out there. I pray that you want to. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Brother Mike always likes to say, if you got the first one, self-control, the rest of them will fall into line. A lot of truth in that. Mike, good teaching. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live in the Spirit... We also walk in the Spirit. Salvation should bring a change in our lives. Salvation should change our behavior, change our character. Our attitudes, our words, our thoughts. Because why? Our life is new. A new creation. Old things that our life used to do. It's gone. And now all things become new. Ephesians 4, 22. That if you put off concerning your formal conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to its deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Not this mind. Renewed in the spirit, that spirit inside of you, that spirit of mind. We put on that spirit mind on the inside that only has good things, right? the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness. Notice he said true righteousness and true holiness. Grace is a marvelous gift. Grace is a marvelous gift from God. Given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. We all know. We've all heard grace is that unmerited favor of God. Yes, it is. It's something that we did not deserve. We did not deserve salvation. There's nothing we can do. If it weren't for the grace of God, we couldn't even get salvation. Because we, do, we can do nothing to earn what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. There's nothing we can earn for God to heal us. There's nothing that God that we can do that makes God bless us. There's nothing that God that we can do that make, make God uh, give us all the promise and make all the promises and all the gifts that he wants to give to us. Nothing that we can do can, can break that. That's where grace comes from. But because grace comes, people get, talk about works. And they get the works all messed up. 
Because what happens is, is people say, good works can't save you. No. Good works will not save you. Grace saves you through faith, right? By grace, you've been saved through faith, right? By grace, you have been saved through faith. That's how you get saved, by grace, not by works. But what we forget is once we're saved, God teaches us that we must have good works, right? Save for good works, right? So, grace is a marvelous gift. I don't want to take anything away from grace. The true grace, I don't want to take apart. A lot of people say, you're just tearing grace apart. No, I'm not tearing grace apart. I'm tearing the misinformation or the misunderstanding and the way that people's teaching something that God never intended that way. All of this happens because a change takes place in our lives when we accept Jesus Christ and want to live a life that we can. And believe it or not, people who accept Jesus Christ want to live for the Lord. They want to live for the Lord. I did. When I got saved, I wanted to live for the Lord. I didn't want to do bad things, but I messed up and did. Yeah? We call them, everybody now wants to call them mistakes. We make a lot of mistakes. Well, what do we do? We sinned. Mistakes just, just makes, it, makes it easier to, to eat. You know, we can, I can eat a mistake easier than I can eat than I sinned, right? Okay? But it's kind of like, you know, we're concerned. I can, I, can, I can handle that versus worry, right, Pastor? I mean, it's easy to be concerned. I'm a Christian. I'm concerned. I'm not worried. I'm not supposed to worry, but I am concerned. Well, you know. But we are to pray, to read His Word, and to grow in our walk with Him. God looks at our heart and knows our desires to be the very best that we can be. And I want to tell you out there tonight, as I close, times are getting get hard when people accept the Lord, and times get tough. Never, ever, ever, never, ever give up on Jesus. Never, ever give up on Jesus because He will not ever give up on you. As long as you want Him, He wants you. As long as, hear what I'm saying, as long as you want Him, He wants you. I close with this. Matthew chapter 7. A lot of stuff in chapter 7. And I need to read most of this so that you get the context of it. Okay? It says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Now, these are the writings of Jesus. Now, I know that they don't like to use the things that Jesus said in a lot of this teaching. But it's part of the new covenant that we have. And it says, Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Am I saying that all these guys are ravenous wolves? I don't call anybody anything. I'm not judging anybody. It says, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? Even so, this is the key. Every good tree bears good fruit. 
But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, he cuts it down, thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, they will be known. He, uh, you will know them. This is the key. I wanted to get the context of the scripture so you wouldn't lose it. But this is what I want you to remember. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus gave commands. In just the New Testament alone, there are over 1,000 commands given to mankind. Who knows how many there are in the Old Testament, right? But God gave commands. Commands, we sometimes call them precepts. God said, teach precept upon precept, line upon line. In other words, it really says precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, then the other. So what he's saying is, is we must build concept upon concept, command above command. You don't take one command by itself and pull it out. It says command among command and build on the commands of God. You can't take part of them and not take them all. Many will say to me in that day, he's talking about when we get to heaven, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Some of these guys have great ministries. Great ministries. Bigger than mine. Then I will declare to them, this is what the Lord says, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Folks, that's sin. Practicing lawlessness. Lawlessness is breaking God's word. Do not be fooled into believing sin is okay and requires no forgiveness. We talked about grace. We talked about God's truth. But the foundation... Of, the, of all that God has ever done has been love. Never, ever lose sight of God's love. And if you love Him, do what He said. If you love me, if you want to look it up, it's in John chapter 15. There's other places, but I know it's there. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you're listening out there tonight, I pray that God puts this in the hands of many who have been deceived. There is a spirit of deception that is falling on this, on this earth like it's never been before. I've seen people that love God with all of their hearts. Because of taking one small, one small parcel of a lie and took it and made it give it a place to grow, it has now grown into the ridiculous. Because the spirit of deception is real. God said in the end times there will be a great deception that falls upon the people. 
But if you're listening out there tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ and you would really like to know Him and accept Him, you can accept Him right now. You don't have to be in this church service right now. But where you are, no matter where you are, in this great land of the United States or anywhere in the world, God brought you to this time, if you're listening to this message, for a moment and a time for you to have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If you want to accept Him tonight, just pray this prayer with me as I pray it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you asking you to forgive me of my sins. To cleanse me from every sin and unrighteousness in my life. Jesus, I invite you into my heart to be the Lord of my life. To control my life. To teach me your word. To teach me how to walk in your spirit. Jesus, I thank you that because I ask, You have forgiven my sins. I am now a child of the living God. Father, I thank you for sending your Son to die for me. And I receive the blood and his body which was given for me. I accept your true grace. That God, that you will help me in my daily struggle. Until that day, Lord that I will be totally and completely sanctified and holy as I step into your presence in the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer. God now lives in your life. God bless you. Walk in truth. and Let truth be your guide forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Huh? Thank you. Huh?